as I said earlier, we are in week three of our current series on heroes of faith, looking at characters throughout the Old Testament who can help us build our faith that we can learn from, that we can model ourselves on and their faith with Jesus. Um, and Amy Walker, our ops director, is going to be carrying on uh, that series tonight, looking at Ruth preaching... <laughs> preaching in St. Nick's for the first time. Come on. Um, So I'm going to read her passage for us now. It's from Ruth 2, 1 to 12. It'll come up on the screens behind me. Feel free to follow on however you'd like if you want a tech, a a flesh Bible. I don't know what what I'm trying to say. If you want a a real Bible, there are loads down the front you can grab. Um, I'm going to read our reading for us now. It's from Ruth 2, 1 to 12. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who, is the, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars that the men are filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Guys, please welcome Amy. Hello, everyone. Good evening. That's my fan fan club in the corner there. Um, Yes, my name is Amy, and I work for St. Nick's um, on the staff team here. But so far, I've managed to avoid this space. Um, You may notice a bit of an accent. I'm from South Africa. Uh, Oh, great. Um... Yeah, well, inland from Durban, to be precise. Uh, But I moved here quite a long time ago with my family, my parents and my sisters. Um, Long enough that I should be used to the long, wet peak of 22 degrees summers. Um, Yet, I definitely am still happiest on a beach at 35 degrees. Um, I am married to Dave who is also South African, and we have a ridiculously blonde child named Wilfred. Um, So this week, as Josh mentioned, I bring you the third installment of our Heroes of Faith series. It's a woman whose story God has used on a number of occasions to speak to me, 
and I hope it does the same to you. As was pointed out last week, there are only two books in the Bible that are named after women. The first is Esther, who Sarah Neal spoke about brilliantly last week, and the second is Ruth, who I'm going to be speaking to you about today. Um, Now, Ruth is probably not who the world might consider your classic hero. If we look at the other biblical uh, options available to us, we've got King David, giant killer, Uh, Queen Esther freed her people, Samson, super strength, Daniel stood up to the king, survived the lions, and Ruth followed her mother-in-law, got remarried. Not exactly the makings of your blockbuster hit. However, here we are, a whole book of the Bible dedicated to her, only one of five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, and with a story I believe has a lot that we can learn from. Basically, I think Ruth is someone worth knowing. So let me tell you a little bit more about her later. And as I mentioned, I'm not from the UK, so perhaps this is what led me to Ruth. A woman living in a foreign land. She describes herself in that passage there as a foreigner, trying to get used to their customs and traditions. Now I can tell you from experience that this is not straightforward. The week after we landed in the UK, we met a really lovely family with kids, similar age to myself and my sisters. We were teenagers at the time. And they invited us to join them for breakfast and a shopping trip the next day. So we turned up for breakfast at 7.30 a.m., which is a perfectly normal time in South Africa, but horrifying to the, to, to, to the still sleeping British family on their first day of the Christmas holidays. So let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite married into a family from Bethlehem in Judah, and they had moved to Moab because of famine. However, after Ruth had been married for 10 years, both her husband and his brother die. Ruth is left a widow with her mother-in-law Naomi, already a widow, and her sister Orpah, uh, another Moabite woman. Now when Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem has ended, she decides to move back, recognizing how tough it would be for her daughters-in-law. As widows in a foreign land, she encourages Orpah and Ruth to return to their families in Moab. At this point, Ruth is given two options. She has the option of going home to her family, a place known to her and familiar, where she'd be free to find a husband, or to stay with Naomi and move as an unmarried, impoverished woman to a city unknown to her. Orpah chooses the first option, but Ruth insists on staying with Naomi, committing wholeheartedly with these words, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. The two women then arrive in Bethlehem at the time of the harvest. This allows Ruth to go out and gather leftover grains from the field. This was called gleaning. It was basically the act of collecting the leftover crops from farmers' fields after they'd been harvested. Landowners were required by law, as written in Leviticus, to leave the offcuts of the poor and marginalized to collect. Now this, in turn, leads to her meeting Boaz 
a wealthy landowner who also happens to be a relative of Naomi. Boaz shows her kindness and generosity, providing her with protection and ample grain to survive. It is at this point that Naomi recognizes that Boaz was more than just a, dist a distant relative. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. So let's delve back into Levit Leviticus for this one. A kinsman redeemer was a relative who, by law, had to support those related who were widowed or impoverished. So Naomi sees a way out of this situation, as it would mean Boaz could marry Ruth, buy their land, and continue the family lineage. So as the harvest season is drawing to a close, Naomi instructs Ruth to get all dressed up. And these are the words in the Bible. She says, take a bath, put on perfume, and get dressed in your nicest clothes, which I think is very sound advice from a mother-in-law. She's then told to approach Boaz at the, threshing floor, at the threshing floor where he's sleeping and lie at his feet. Now, this would have been a daring act of faith for a woman in her position, which could have gone horribly wrong. Thankfully, Boaz is a good guy, and he acknowledges Ruth's honor and virtue and agrees to act as the kinsman redeemer. He marries Ruth. They have a son named Obed, and this son eventually becomes the grandfather of King David and is given a name check in the lineage of Jesus. We see this in Matthew at the very beginning. And it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then a whole load of names that I'm not going to read out, don't worry. But then it comes to verse uh, 5 or 6. six. Uh, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. I mean, pretty impressive. Um, so there it is, the life of Ruth in a nutshell. So now we have a bit of an idea of her story. I wanted us to consider three aspects that define her remarkable character and, I think, can help shape ours. So firstly, Ruth does the right thing. Now, we live in a world that can feel driven by self-interest and convenience, where often what is considered the right decision is one that puts us first. What will benefit me? We're also surrounded by the option to sit on the fence, to live in the gray zone of never quite committing to one thing. As a society, we love to keep our options open. Now, I'm pretty old, so I still remember when Facebook first introduced the option of a maybe response to events. Does anyone else remember this? Uh, prior to this, you could only give a, de a definite yes or no. I mean, the horror. The maybe was a game changer. I don't think I said yes to one thing for years. Sometimes making any decision, let alone the right one, can feel really crippling, leading to no action at all. Or just sitting in that gray zone. So I do recognize that it is very well me saying, do the right thing. How can we know if it's the right thing? I mean, doesn't everyone want to do the right thing? Now I have a one and a half year old called Wilf, as I've already mentioned. And prior to Wilf, I had very little interaction with babies or young children. Uh, I think there was an element of me that thought that they just arrived as blank canvases ready to be molded into whatever human being I wanted to create them into. Um, well, this is not the case. Uh, these little people come with personality. They come with a lot of stas. 
uh, stubbornness. Um, and Wilf also seems to know when something is right or wrong. Dangerous, safe, right, wrong, without any instruction from me or my husband, Dave. And based on this case study of one, case study one, but I have come to the conclusion that we are born with an inherent desire to do the right thing. And I think what it comes down to is the character, our character. And what we see in Ruth's character is that of integrity, selflessness, and loyalty, all of which play a part in her decision to follow Naomi. And I always wonder at this point in the story what I would have done. Would I have been a Ruth or would I have been an Orpah? Now, we aren't told that Orpah's decision to stay in Moab and go home to her family was the wrong one. She does what Naomi instructs. Naomi makes it really clear how awful it would be and gives her a way out. At this time, to be widowed and childless meant real vulnerability and poverty. Yet Ruth couldn't abandon her in this position. There's something within Ruth that leads to her making a decision that is morally right. Not because it's easy or serves our own agenda. So really, what I'm saying is, she did the right thing, but actually what I mean is she did the righteous thing. Now, this word righteous gets a bit of a bad rep. It's often linked with self, self-righteous. But I find it a really helpful word, to, uh, word for me, and it's a helpful way of thinking of things. So being righteous literally means to be right, especially in a moral way. Now, if we weren't already convinced of the rightness of Ruth's actions, we hear it again from Boaz um, in the passage just read. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Jesus, when asked what the most important commandments were, responded with, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We see a precursor to this command commandment and resections and commitment to Naomi, which demonstrates what loving our neighbor really looks like on the ground in a very real way, where she gave up everything to do the righteous thing. Ruth's selfless act of loyalty and care serves as a powerful reminder that doing the right thing is not always easy, but it can be eternally rewarding. Secondly, Ruth follows faithfully when Ruth follows Naomi, she makes a commitment to both Naomi and God. Your God will be my God. Ruth's faith was not passive, and it wasn't restrict restricted to just moving to Bethlehem. She continues to follow Naomi faithfully beyond this initial decision. She remained steadfast in her dedication to provide for herself and Naomi as she gleaned in the fields of Boaz. It was an act of trust in God's guidance and provision. Her courage to approach Boaz and ask for his protection um, and care not only showcases her boldness, but, it also, but also her deep faith that God would work through the circumstances of her life. Now, as someone whose family might describe me as independent and stubborn to a fault, this level of compliance and faithfulness definitely doesn't come easily to me. So I'm always a little in awe of those that demonstrate these gifts. Now, at the beginning of 2017, Toby, the leader of this church, uh, approached me with an offer 
to help set up St. Nick's. Uh, we were in London, and um, at that same time, I was offered another very exciting role. Uh, what's the saying? You wait for one bus and two come at once. Um, well, you can see, obviously, I said yes to Bristol. However, that was only after I had organized two prayer meetings in my own honor, um, sweated over the Bible, trying to find any word that might send me in one direction or the other, uh, sat next to um, anyone. I used to go to church and sit next to all the, anyone I was, who was particularly prophetic in the hope that they might receive a word for me in the service. Um, anything along the lines of, I see you moving to a city with a big bridge, or even better, don't go to Asia, go to Bristol. Uh, anyone else do this kind of thing? <laughs> Hopefully not just me. Um, before we take that leap of faith and say yes or no, we'd quite like that booming voice from God. Confirmation from all our friends that, well done, you've made the right decision. This is the best option. So it becomes slightly less of a leap and more a carefully planned step in the right direction. And everyone around you agrees that you're doing the right thing. Yet in Hebrews 11, we're told that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is not based on reasoning. It's a leap into the abyss, trusting that God will be there to catch us. Now, eventually I got the picture that I needed to step out in faith, uh, make a decision I believed to be right, and have faith that God would be there with me. And this was really hammered home when I did receive a word from someone uh, after all those times sitting next to them, going forward for prayer. Um, and uh, the word was, follow your heart and God will honor that. I mean, not quite the, the booming voice saying, go to Bristol, but it was enough that kind of prompted me in the right direction. It only took me eight months, though. So the next time we approached someone about joining the plant, uh, we made sure that we gave them a time frame to respond within, learning from, uh, <laughs> learning from myself. Um, like Ruth, at some point, we have to set a step out in faith. Not because it's the most logical, the end result will be the best, it will benefit me, but because we believe that it's where God might be calling us. And the third aspect we see in Ruth is that she embraces the moment. Now, we heard in that passage that Josh read for us that after arriving in Bethlehem, Ruth makes a decision to glean in a particular field. And as it turned out, it just so happened to be Boaz's field. The very Boaz who was related to Naomi's deceased husband and could potentially save the family. Well, what a coincidence! Ruth doesn't know that this is Boaz's field. She doesn't know that her decision to glean on what was, we have to assume, a random field, would lead to her marriage, children, and a pretty big role in the lineage of King David, and ultimately, the Messiah. When she sets out that day, she was clueless to the trajectory her life might take. Now, as I've got older, I've had more years to reflect on, more life to sift through to identify these just so happened as it turned out moments, random occurrences that seem too convenient where two worlds collide. 
It just so happened that I found myself helping at a random charity event many years ago where I met a man who had just so happened to have gone on a date with my sister's best friend and as it turned out, had grown up in a similar place in South Africa, which led to a sharing of details and a beginning of an acquaintance. And it just so happened that a chance meeting with a mutual friend a few years later led them to ask said man why he'd never had the courage to ask the girl out. And that is how I met Wilf's dad. Ruth, Ruth's as it turned out moment required very little effort from Ruth. I mean, the gleaning was probably fairly tough, but the decision to glean in that particular field was probably a few minutes, but God was in it. And we see from the beginning of her story, God was working. He had a plan of rescue for Naomi and Ruth and an even bigger plans beyond their lifetime. When I was on holiday, my family uh, went to Egypt um, this was probably about 10 years BG before Google. So we hired a guide. You know, you couldn't look up things, so you hired someone to um, take us around the city and tell us a bit more about uh, Cairo. And one of the places they took us, along with their cousins' jewelers and their uncle's perfumery, was a carpet factory. And we got to see the process behind a carpet, much like the one I'm standing on right now. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen how it's done, but it is seriously impressive. There's actually a picture there. Um, as an onlooker, it's actually really hard to see what picture that they're building up. They're just weaving at quite a lot of speed, threads, just one piece of thread at a time. Um, just keep going. And as they move, you start to see some more of the picture, the pattern starts to form and you start to see links between it and um, it takes some time but slowly the picture builds. And I think this is a perfect example of what life can look like. It's a tapestry, it's a Persian carpet being woven slowly. Our life is made up of big and small decisions. Leaps of faith, God-ordained moments, and the people we choose to surround ourselves with. For us, we may feel blind to what the picture looks like when God hears our name. But when God hears our name, he sees the whole picture. He knows our beginning, our middle, and the end. Now, you might feel like one of those women. You might feel like you, there's nothing in front of you. You can't see where it's going. But actually... God has a plan. What may seem like coincidences are, in fact, divinely orchestrated moments. Those unexplained moments that, where things collide in just a way that it must be God. We don't always see them immediately. Sometimes they only become clear years later, the power of hindsight. Some never will. How can we learn from Ruth and not miss a moment? Embracing these just-so-happened moments required a heart attuned to God's voice and a willingness to surrender our own plans, especially when we know that these moments aren't always clear to us at the time. Ruth's openness to follow God's lead led to blessings beyond her imagination. Where could God be leading you? 
Can I encourage you to say yes? Follow who God calls you to. Embrace the random. And if something feels like what society calls a coincidence, lean in. What is God doing in that moment? So in the character of Ruth, we find an example of righteousness, faithfulness, and an unwavering trust in God's providence. She does the right thing, she follows faithfully, and she embraces the moment, despite being in a hopeless situation. And we see God at work throughout her story. As we saw in the story of Gideon, when Toby spoke to us a few weeks ago, and the story of Esther last week, as we see throughout the whole Testament, and this God of the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament, and he's the same today. Now, Wilf has a favorite song by Wren Collective, and it tells us when talking about the Old Testament, I won't sing it to you, do not worry. This is more than history. He will do the same for me. Just as Boaz steps in as kinsman redeemer and offers salvation to Ruth and Naomi, we see this on an exponentially bigger scale in the person of Jesus. It is through Jesus that we all receive unexpected blessing and redemption. He is our kinsman redeemer. It is in him that we can place our trust. No matter the circumstances, no matter our background, we can come to him. We can lay at his, uh, at his feet and we can receive salvation. In writing this talk and reflecting on Ruth's journey and her tapestry of life, I've been left wondering what it might look like for me to live a life of integrity, for me to walk in faith, even when the path is uncertain, and to recognize and embrace moments that shape the future, both my own and those around me. What would it look like for you? What choices do you need to make for this to happen? I think if we just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we don't allow ourselves to get distracted, and we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives as the ultimate guide, an occasional, for me, voice of reason, and I don't know where you find yourself today. Are you at a crossroad where you have to make a decision which may require a faith and a, a step into the unknown? Perhaps you're feeling hopeless, surrounded by loss. Perhaps you just need to be reminded that God is in control of the big and the small, the seemingly insignificant. I think the first step that you can make right now is trusting in a God who loves you. He loves you unconditionally and cares for you deeply, even to the point of sending his son to die for us. I'm just going to pray for us before the band come up. Father, thank you that through your word we can see your hand at work, both now and in the centuries past. Help us to stay steadfast in our trust in you, no matter where we find ourselves keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.